I bet we've all experienced the moment where a storm brewed instantaneously in our lives, whether it came by means of a phone call, a meeting, a doctor visit, an announcement, a tragedy that just instantly threw you into a storm. I've been in a few. I'm sure you have as well. And if you haven't ever had a, a storm really of life, I hate to tell you this, but they're coming. Storms are, are inevitable. You can't avoid, avoid them. Even our Lord and Savior, the, Jesus Christ the Lord, experienced a storm. And that's what we're going to study today. A very popular text of Scripture that's very uh, refreshing to us whenever we're going through difficult times because it's a perfect reminder. But it's also one that is it's helpful to build some things into our lives and prepare for storms. And like you don't always know what a storm's going to look like or how it's going to impact, but I do believe the things that you do when it's not storming have a significant impact on how you respond in the middle of a storm. And so that I appreciate all of you every week to not only be here, but in the time that we invest in each other as a church family, through times of Bible study, through discipleship, through times to pray together, to serve together, all of those things that happen when it's not storming have a significant impact to build faith and preparation for when storms are coming. Because they certainly will. I believe as we, as we serve our community, as our name of our whole study here has been one community for the community. That as we engage people in our community, it's inevitable that you're going to come across people that are going through a storm. And so this message today might be helpful as you minister to someone else. And certainly we will all endure storms and be a testimony in our storm to people that don't know Christ yet. And so this is an important aspect of our ministry. To set the backdrop for this text before we dive into it, I want to share with you how Jesus gets to this point of a storm. He'd been teaching all day long, had gotten on a boat, was next to the shoreline. The people were pressed onto the shore, overcrowded. And he taught from the position of the boat. Now, he had performed some miracles earlier, which is what created this huge crowd effect. And he, so he had several hours of teaching, it would seem. Well, now he has a divine appointment on the other side of the Sea of Galilee that's for the next day that we don't know about that except through Scripture. But obviously, he's anticipating it. And so it's time now for them to go to the other side. And that's the instruction he will give to the disciples as we need to press on and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we are now, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. I'm going to read the whole story to you to get our context. It says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the, when he had, they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the weave, waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful and how is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? First thing, well, I'm going to give you several things today. Just We're going to pick out some pieces of this today. But here's the first thing you need to learn in this text. Storms are inevitable. 
They're inevitable because even Jesus went through a storm, and this is a literal storm of wind, but that was common for that particular and still is for that part of the, of the world. The Sea of Galilee fits into a valley with mountains all around it. It is at a very low place. It's the second lowest body of water on the face of the earth. Fresh water, by the way, fed by the Jordan River and by springs. So it's an incredible fishing lake, or we would call it a lake, but it's really the Sea of Galilee, that in normal conditions you would sail across the sea in about two hours. But because of its proximity and kind of sitting down here in a cereal bowl, that the wind would shift directions and could come up very powerfully, very quickly. The sailors all know this. Matter of fact, Jesus spoke into them. He said, you guys know how to read the skies, but you can't read the understanding of the times. He said, you know this. I grew up with this phrase, you know, that red sky at night, sailors delight, red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Well, there's a, that comes from the scriptures that you, you learn how to read the sky and they know. Well, it's evening time and Jesus has told him, now we're going to go to the other side. And immediately this massive wind has now stirred up and this storm has hit. Storms are inevitable. We know this from the book of Job chapter 14, verse 1, that says that a man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. I can assure you, if you haven't been through a storm of life yet, it's coming. If you're in one now, this too shall come to pass, because it always does. It's one of my favorite phrases in the old King James Bible. It says, and it came to pass, because it always does. The second thing you need to learn today, besides the fact that storms are inevitable, is that storms come even when you're obedient. Now, I've experienced storms because I was disobedient. God was bringing something into my life to bring me to the end of myself so I would quit running ahead of God. But I want you to see this in verse 35. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude. So they left. They, they picked up stakes. Here, let's go. And they... It's not like they were rebelling against Jesus and saying, hey, you do know it's evening time, check out the sky, we're not going. No, they, they set sail and here we go. So storms do come even when you're being obedient. Amy and I were reflecting this week on storms in our life since we've been married. And uh, we've had a few different ones. And I, one I wanted to share with you today is when we were going through our adoption process for Hallianna. God had provided miracles for us along that pathway, but we entered a storm spot. It was interesting how God had worked in both of our lives. Amy was uh, really compelled by the Lord before me to adopt. And after much prayer and consideration, then my heart was for that as well. We immediately go through all the steps, and there's so many. If any of you have ever done that, you know. Well, as we're proceeding through the steps, we ran up against a bump, and that was we, we were living in China at the time, and so economically, our income was insufficient to adopt. And we had come home on a, one of our trips back to the States, and I was speaking in a church, and I was glad for that opportunity, but after it was over, I never asked for any support from anywhere when we were coming back like that. But the pastor of that church grabbed me right before we were running out of the building to head back to the airport. And he said, hey, I just wanted you to know our church wants to take you on for support. I didn't even ask for it. He said, we want to invest in your family and your ministry. 
And um, the amount of money that they were willing to give us monthly was exactly how much we were short to be able to adopt. So Amy and I both just, we wept and it's so excited because this was a confirmation from the Lord that we are supposed to adopt. So we're going through all the steps. We've now experienced a miracle. Everything seemed like it was clicking along and then I get to another place of paperwork that required a police background check, which you guys know me pretty well, I think. That should be easy for me. But it wasn't. Because I went to the police precinct where we lived in China and asked them for this background check and they said, we don't do that. And I said, well, here, I gave them a template of another one from another area in China from an adoptive family that's done the same thing. Sadly, they were offended by the document I gave them because it's not my job to tell them how to write something. And that didn't go well. And so much apology and much consideration and bottom line is no was the answer. We're not providing this. Well, why? Well, we don't know if you've committed a crime in China or not. Well, if I did, I probably wouldn't be standing here, I assume. And so we had this discussion, but at the end of the day, the answer is no. We will not provide that document. So after all the time, the investment of, of finances and miracles that have happened, and it, I don't know what else to do. The answer is no, we're dead in the water here without that document. Several weeks, this isn't just a day or two, weeks went by. And finally, I got called back to the police station, and uh, it was an odd situation because they opened up this file that had all these documents of my family and pictures of my family from everything we do on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis that you don't even know they have. But eventually I sat down with the, the leader of the police area and he gave me the document that we needed. For weeks, my family lived in a storm of, sorry, of promises and provisions, but it didn't make any sense. I don't get this. And then finally you get to see God move again. But it drew us to the place where we were drawn closer to Jesus, but it helped me, it refined my faith, it built it, which is the main reason for storms. First Peter chapter one says this, in this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, here it is, my faith is always getting tested, yours is too, to find, is it real? Are you just religious and punching your religious ticket? Do you genuinely have faith in Christ and do you really believe that when he makes a promises, they're yes and amen? That it's true. Or is it just cool songs we sing? It's being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens? When our faith is tested and it comes out pure, it's the real deal faith, it brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ because we trust Him when there's, it makes no sense. And most of the things on this earth don't make a lot of sense. And the only thing that's secure and sure is the word of God. And I know for a fact I can stand secure on Jesus. I can stand secure in his word. That makes sense. But everything goes on around. It doesn't. Inevitably, 
trials and, and storms are going to come. And Peter said this in 1 Peter 4. He said, Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fire, tri, fiery trial that's to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are a partaker of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Whenever we struggle in a storm and we turn to Christ in faith, here's what happens. We're also identifying with Christ. When you're suffering, you are identifying with Christ in suffering because he suffered. Our Savior came as a human being and suffered the, the consequences of that with all that goes on with abuses and struggle and storms and everything else. Jesus went through that with us and we get to identify with him in our suffering. So this isn't like you're experiencing something that no one else ever has and Jesus can't connect to it. No, he can totally connect to it because he went through the same. It may not look exactly the same as the storm you're in, but at the end of the day, if you'll measure the storm, it's a trial of our faith, but it's also a spot here where suffering is happening. Physical. It's emotional. It's some kind of suffering that's taking place where we don't see where this is going to go. A third lesson I learned in this is that storms or testing your faith will have an impact on others around you. It's not just you, but everybody else. Mark 4.36 says, They took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. You know, the disciples had a unique vantage point because they've got the Savior in the boat, though they don't necessarily realize he has the power over the wind and the waves. But the other boats that are along for the ride here, they're all going together, maybe as a fishing entourage, or they're just choosing to follow along. I don't know. But other little boats were a part of that. And all they know is instantly the wind's blowing and it's bad. And then all of a sudden the wind stopped and it's not bad. And I have no idea what just happened. I think about this when it comes to sometimes kids that are watching storms happen with their parents or relatives. They have no idea the magnitude of the storm. They're just watching mom and dad react to it. I think of your colleagues that are observing you as a Christ follower go through a storm and how you respond when very terrible things happen in your life and your, your church family that comes alongside. And I think about in discipleship, it's one of the things that are in our discipleship training I like to talk about I have found it to be true that if I'm going to meet for the next year of my life with someone one-on-one -on -one through the Word to kind of help uh, learn and grow together with someone to establish in the faith, one of us, if not both of us, are going to go through a storm. And the, the beauty of that is we're going to go through it together. And we're going to learn from each other in that storm, but there's the other little ships. It's like you've got this storm that's for these guys that are in this boat and have the Savior in the boat, but then there's the others alongside that they're just being impacted by it. But here's the testimony of it. I think this is so powerful. It's all of us in this room, if you're a Christ follower, how you respond in a storm brings great testimony to those other little ships. Number four. Storms will bring you to the end of your own power. 
In Mark chapter 4, verse 37, it says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. This was a great wind, a great windstorm. I did a little research on the Sea of Galilee. To, what's the magnitude of a typical windstorm there? It is not uncommon at all for a windstorm to exceed 70 mile an hour winds on these pop-up, boom kind of storms. The Sea of Galilee is legit. I mean, it's 140 feet deep. Average depth is over 80 feet. You think of it as like a small lake. No, it's not true. It's, it's big, and when the wind blows, it comes big time. It's a great windstorm. In fact, it hasn't been many years ago, and they had swells, waves that got up to 10 feet high. So there was a tidal surge just because of the big wind. There was tidal surge off the Sea of Galilee that completely wrecked some of the communities right around the sea. So just to get perspective here, when it says great waves beat into this boat, this is waves that are coming over the front. And so for guys that have spent their entire life on that sea making a living, they have come to the place, they're not convinced they're even going to make it. This is great wind. This is like hurricane strength stuff that they're now experiencing. Many of us understand we've all been through small storms. But you've had the big ones. Some of you in this room have had the big ones. Where at the end of the day, you're not sure you're going to make it. Psalm 107 speaks into this, I believe, as prophetic psalm for this um, moment in Scripture here. But it says, Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Don't you love that phrase? You ever been at your wit's end? You don't know what else to do. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. Then they're glad because they are quiet. And so he guides them to their desired haven. I want you to notice, who is it that commanded the wind? It's God who does that. God can raise up those waves. He can lower them right back down again. He can park that boat in the safe haven. He's the one who responded to the prayers of the request of getting out of this trouble. The sailors were at their wits end. They had done everything they knew to do. But I think one of the things that we can draw from this as well, when I am brought to the end of my own power, you see, just like the Apostle Paul, who heard this from the Lord, that my grace is sufficient for you. Many of us experience this, where we're, if you have your talents, and you have skills, you work hard, and you kind of know what to do when things go sideways. You kick into gear, and now you're going to just take care of business. And then all of a sudden, you've reached a magnitude of something that's beyond your scope, and it brings you to the end of yourself. And what happens? You're at your wit's end because you literally don't know what to do. I don't know how to answer. I don't know how to proceed. I don't know. And just as the sailors, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Which leads right to the next point, that storms will draw you to Jesus. They should. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38 says, But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him. You know, when we run to Jesus, there's things we immediately learn. 
we experience the power of the word that nurtures our lives. It's the power of the family of God, which God's designed for us to have. It's the power of praise and songs that bring back memories. It's my grave concern for the church in this day and age that when troubles come, we run and hide. We go other places. We find the things to medicate in other ways. And what happens ultimately in the lives of Christians that find uh, refuge in other places, instead of drawing to Jesus, they miss the power and presence of the Lord. They miss the ministry that comes out of that where God was going to could use that space right there to minister to others so effectively. I think of the power that comes with being a part of a family of God where a family gets to rush in and minister to someone going through a storm and it teaches the church how to love very well. But when we retreat, we, don't, we miss that. I think about the power of music and I appreciate our worship team to be so diligent every week because music accomplishes so much because collectively we, we praise the Lord, we worship the Lord in song. But we're also preaching and reminding each other that all of, our, all of his promises are yes and amen. And we're singing the gospel to each other. And so you come in here today and you're the one in the middle of the storm. And there's nearly 200 other people that are now praising God and preaching this into your life. It's not just one guy standing up here talking. And it turns into this incredible ministry of the body of Christ. And I don't know about you, but the, song, the, the songs and things that God ministered to my life with through those storms... When we sing or I hear those same songs again and again and again, it's, isn't it amazing how instantly you're drawn right back over there again and you remember that storm so well and the details of it rush back and now God ministers to that again and you know what happens? He reminds you of the promises that He made and secures you in that and see, you did make it. You didn't think you would, but you did and here you are. It's all these years later. And I think about the songs that I've sat along someone else when I was the other little ship. And someone else next to me was going through an incredible storm. And I was going through it with them, but I didn't have the same vantage point that they had. But all the things that ministered effectively in their lives, you could see that. You could see the evidence of that. It's power. Storms draw you to Jesus. Don't retreat. Don't run. It's one of the most dangerous things, I, as I said, that in our culture, I observe it. Our tendency is to want to, when we're stressed, well, I just need to, I just need to stay home. I need to, I need to nest up in my, my safe haven. I, I understand. But what misses in that? The word, prayer, blessing, family, together, the ministry that comes with that, the purpose that God would seek to accomplish behind it. Storms also make it seem like Jesus doesn't care. When he could go back in the back of the boat, and he's asleep in chapter 4, verse 38, says, and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Well, of course he cares. But the storm made it seem like he didn't because they're up here at their wit's end, convinced they're going to die. And Jesus is racked out back here on a pillow in the back of the boat. It would seem like you don't care. No, the issue is the vantage point. See, Jesus already knows. He already said we're going to the other side. 
Jesus has already established and knows he's not coming to this earth to die shipwrecked and drown in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He already knows he's going to the cross. So this wind and waves may be difficult in this moment, but it will not prevent us from getting to the other side. But isn't it interesting how our response is often and the assumption is that when things go bad, somehow Jesus doesn't know, Jesus doesn't care. I think about Job and all that he lost in a single day of his life with family and finances and everything that he could possibly imagine on this earth that was good and all the physical blessings from God evaporated in a moment. And the scripture says in the book of Job that in all of this, Job did not charge God foolishly. He did not accuse God of doing him wrong. And he was a man who, obviously, by faith, he loved the Lord, even though he didn't even have all the word that we have to work with. Storms will make it seem like Jesus doesn't care, but that is not true. We know that is not true from the... from the scriptures, which is why being drawn back to the word is so critical. It's why it is so vital, everyone. It is why when it's not storming in your life, you're inputting the word so that when the storm comes, you draw on the reservoir of the truth and know that these promises are yes and amen. Storms reveal Jesus' power over creation in verse 39. Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. Obviously, only the Creator can do that. There's a key phrase here, this great calm that matched this great wind. I find it interesting from the standpoint, and 1 Peter describes something here. Peter uses a word manifold in the old language. It's the word manifold, which means multicolored. For every multicolored trial, various trials, he says there's a multicolored or various grace to match it. Now don't miss that. For every color of trial that faces your life, there's a grace to match that. And likewise, in this text, we have a great storm, but now there is a great calm. The great storm would have mounted up waves that would have been so big it's coming over the boat and now they feel like they're going to die. But the great calm, this is interesting, and we all have experienced this at the lake. A storm comes and the waves just get huge. And when the wind finally stops after one of those big thunderstorms blows through, the water's a mess for a while. It takes hours for, that, for the lake to calm down. Usually it's like the next morning before everything's kind of chill. Can you imagine being on this water with this great calm where all of a sudden boom, the wind stops Because Jesus said so. But not only that, the waves stop and this place becomes calm. That's impossible. There should be the repercussions of the waves crashing and banging back and forth. That should last for hours. It didn't. That would have been amazing. Only the creator can do that. And Jesus has already demonstrated his creative power over the fact that he's He's already healed all these people who were sick. All various diseases and sicknesses have been healed. And not only that, he demonstrated power over the demonics and cast them out. He demonstrated power over the devil who tempted him in the wilderness, came up empty because Jesus didn't sin. 
In every occasion, Jesus has now proven He is the Son of God, He is the Creator, and therefore He can be trusted. And even the wind and the waves obey. Which means storms also allow us to experience the peace of God, which is great power in this text. When Jesus spoke, He said, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. This is exactly what Jesus described to the disciples. And you can imagine now, after spending time with Him and watching Him have this power to, to even calm a storm, when He's now letting them know that He's about to go away. Well, the source of our peace is about to go away. Now what? Which is why John 14 matters, because that was their concern. And He told him, He said, Peace. I leave with you my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He told him in verse 26, it's going to be the comforter, the Holy Spirit that's going to come. Who's going to minister peace. He's going to minister comfort. The very power of God. And not only around you, but in you and through your life. So the very person of God is now going to indwell you. And so this peace that passes all understanding is going to be in you. That's incredible power. It doesn't mean that all the troubles go away. No, Jesus advised the disciples to give them the heads up. John 16, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Now notice, Jesus is the overcomer of the world, but we were just advised back in chapter 14 of John... Jesus said, the peace that I give to you is not the same type of peace the world gives. The world's manner of peace is, is to find some way to medicate or some way to push off for at least a moment the pain that I'm feeling or the storm that I'm in. Somehow I need to rationalize it, justify it, figure out how to cope with it. Where the Word of God comes in and teaches me then the power of God and to walk in the grace that is sufficient in the moment for the storm. And watch God make the provision that's a miracle, that's impossible. Watch God do, be the one who will calm that storm and give me peace when I should have no peace. My whole entire world's been upended. Maybe your finances are gone and you're, you don't even know how you're going to live. Guys, it's so sobering because none of us have probably gone through this where literally someone drops a bomb on your house or your city and it doesn't exist. It's sobering to sit down with someone who just is so grateful for the grace of God that I have lived to tell about the story. And that God provided for me a way to be here. And God's now provided food and mattresses and somewhere for me to live. It's very sobering to hear someone who's a Christ follower. Who says, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. And Jesus is good to me all the time. Yeah, but... Your house got blown up and part of your family members didn't survive. But God's still good. Because God, God loves me. And God has an eternal plan for my life and God's called me to be with him forever. And so the grace is sufficient. Which is why Philippians 4 is so powerful to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
It's going back to Jesus. Are you in the middle of a storm? Go back to Jesus. Always go there first. Storms are going to reveal the strength of your faith. In verse 40, it says, But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Take note. The absence of faith equals fear. If you hear nothing else I say today, I hope you just caught that. The absence of faith, or lack thereof, equals fear. And we will fear all the wrong things. We will fear the water coming over the boat. We will fear we're going to die. We will fear this. We will fear that. Absence of faith equals fear. When the one to fear is actually on the boat, because that's what storms ultimately cause in our life is the fear of the Lord. In verse 41, And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now they have seen. Instead of being afraid of the storm, can you imagine this scenario? That this one you've watched do miracles, and that stuff is cool, but to stand up on the boat and just raise your hand and say, peace, be still, and then everything just goes flat in a moment. And that dude's on your boat. You would feel so disqualified to have him on your boat. Overwhelmed that truly, this is the son of God. And he's on my boat. And he's here ministering to me. And when I called out to him, he heard me and he answered me. And he brought peace in the middle of the storm that I didn't even think was possible. And he just did what was imagine, unimaginable. Yep. And that is our God. Who is that personal, that intimate, that knowing, that powerful, that caring, that when you call out in the middle of your storm, yeah, he hears. He knows. And only he has the power to calm the storm. And he did. The question is, do you know him? The disciples at this moment knew a lot about him. But it wasn't till now, after this moment, where you will see where they will confess that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. It took this moment for that to happen. I pray it doesn't require a storm of your life to find out that Jesus is the son of God who died for your sin and rose from the grave alive to give you eternal life. I pray that today, if you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior yet, that you would know He is our God who loves you and gave Himself for you. He paid the debt that, that we all deserve to be separate from God because of our sin, and Jesus paid our sin debt. And He came back to life under the power of God Himself, raising from the grave alive. He is the Lord. Do you know Him? And if you do know him today, let's share him. As a Christ follower today, maybe you're going through a storm. I want to encourage you to go back to Jesus. Always go back to Jesus. And let the storm of your life be a testimony of your faith in Christ and the great grace of the Lord that others can see. This is what it looks like to walk with Jesus and knowing that Jesus is literally walking with you through every storm of life. 
I want to encourage you as well, as a Christ follower today, when the storms aren't happening, if things are pretty chill, just pretty much normal life at the moment, invest heavy in the word. Get that reservoir of faith deep. Because when a storm comes, you're going to need to draw from it. It's, how, it's why Bible study matters. It's why discipleship matters. It's why being in faith community matters. It's why serving matters. All of these things that happen in the body of Christ are critical to building my faith, that the reservoir of faith runs real deep. Because there's a day coming when a storm's going to hit. I need to draw on that.